Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Screen Strong Families podcast, bringing you the best solutions for parents who are serious about reducing screen time in their home. Happy New Year, everyone, from the Screen Strong team. I'm telling you what, I don't think we've ever been so happy to see uh, a new year, right? 2021 is finally here. I think that we have we all, we just all owe ourselves a big congratulations for making it through 2020. Oh my goodness. Today we are so, um, just so excited about who we've got to share, uh, with you on the show today. I'm just so excited. Um, but first I just want to say, how was your detox over the holidays? I mean, either you are pretty excited, you had a great Christmas, and your kids were perfect angels and didn't get on their video games or smartphones <laughs> and you had a great time. Or you are listening today really needing some encouragement and um, that's what we're here for. We're here to encourage you. We have a whole community on our, our Facebook group, on our Screen Strong Families Facebook group. If you don't know about that, jump over there um, with your questions and um, help. We will help you with reducing screen time in your home. But this is a new year. And I am just so excited about it. Because I mean, you know, 2020 just took us in all kinds of crazy directions. And I'm sure this year is just going to be awesome. We have so many families that are going through the detox too. So I just want to welcome our guest. Cynthia Johnson is the co-author of Breaking the Trance, a practical guide for parenting the screen dependent child. Welcome, Cynthia. Thank you very much, Melanie. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so glad we're here. This is so exciting. It's the first of the year and we get to start fresh. And one of the um, one of the things I wanted to do this year is uh, a book club. And so we are starting a book club and, and this is the first book that we're starting for this wonderful new year, Breaking the Trance. Cynthia, when I first picked this book up and started reading it, I thought, where has this book been for the last five years? Because <laughs> it took me a while somehow to, to find it. And it is absolutely on my very, very short list of my favorite books on this topic. I have read probably 50 books on this topic. It seems like, you know, every few months someone's writing a new book. But let me tell you, when I read this one, I got copies for all of our ambassadors. I actually started reading paragraphs to my husband every night. He's like, oh, do we have more from the breaking? I'm like, yes, I've got more to talk about here. <laughs> and I don't do that with all my books, thank goodness. But when I find a, um, a really good one, and I just love this book so much because you are a mom, right? You are co-authoring this and you have five children, correct? Correct. Okay. So see, I knew it. I knew when I started reading this book that, you know, I mean, George Len, he's wonderful and I can tell he's writing from all of his expertise, but I, and he has three children. Yeah. And he has three, but I mean, I could just tell there was a mom behind this somewhere because the way that you nail some of this stuff, it just is so great. It it just, everybody, if you didn't get this for Christmas, go out and get it, breaking the trance. We're going to be talking about this on our on our group and I'll be doing um, some other discussions about this book. And then through the month, we're going to have George, the the other co-author on it. And then we're going to have hopefully both of y'all back at the end of the month to do sort of a <laughs> discussion. So let's just get started with giving y'all sort of a, a preview um, and just some really good nuggets um, from this book. But first of all, Cynthia, why don't you just share just a minute about your background and just mm-hmm. talk about why you are passionate about this topic? Yeah, I am very passionate. I really, really care about um, children. I was the founding director of the first degree program in the nation for students with um, learning intellectual disabilities and learning disabilities. Um, I'm in Washington State. And, um, and I did that for several years. And then I wanted to have my own tutoring business. So I, I went out into people's homes, I wanted to see just face to face with families with children. And, um, and then I began to see what's happening with screen time. And Hmm. it's really hurting kids big time. And I see it every day. Um, and so I 
we, George and I talked about it and said he's a psychotherapist um, and he saw a lot of um, families in his office. And we began to talk about it and go, hmm, maybe we should write about this. Because <laughs> you're kind of seeing it kind of boots on the ground firsthand. You're Absolutely. actually in people's homes. And, um, yeah, I, I'm doing it. I'm mine tutoring online right now because of COVID. But you had that like front seat view of. Yeah, we, I still see it face to face. So I'm, I mean, as far as always talking about it and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So what, just off, before we get into some of the first couple chapters here on the book, what, what do you, what would you summarize as the biggest danger for kids from all the screen addiction? What would you say is, is, I know there's a few things, of course, but what are the. Um, probably as an educator, I would say the educational impact, um, readers are leaders and we see the lack of reading, um, the loss of identity um, a sense of loss of sort of the sense of self. Who am I? Critical thinking skills are extremely diminished. Um, I am a data nut also, and I do see absenteeism rate is skyrocketing in the United States. Um, and I, because kids will um, come in and, you know, go to a psychotherapist and say, I'm too, I just can't, I can't do this. I, I'm too, um, you know, I'm too upset. I, I just can't go to school. So as opposed to yesteryear, you didn't go to school if you were running a fever or vomiting, but now if you, you know, so <laughs> that kind of thing. So, so screens are kind of like the new vomiting or something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I have kids that, um, they tell me everything. And, um, so they're at home with their screens and pretending to be sick, et cetera. So, um, yeah, the, I see the impact of, um, lying is skyrocketing. Yeah. So it is very fascinating. Well, and I, I thought it was really interesting that you said reading, that was like the first thing off your, your tongue. And, and I absolutely yeah. agree. And I'm a writer and I, you know, I love writing. And so yeah, kids hate writing, but leaders are readers. And you know what, that's the first thing I saw. And for those of y'all who are just brand new to the podcast. I have four, my husband, I have four children. Our oldest son, his name is Adam. He became very addicted to video games all through high school. And I thought he would outgrow it. And he um, went to college and he dropped out because all he did was play video games. Cause I learned that little gamers grow up to be big gamers. And I learned that the hard <laughs> way. And, but so what I want to say though, is reading is the first thing to go. Uh, because, you know, you replace the book for the tablet or the phone or the video game or the laptop, and it's just so easy. And so reading is hard and comprehension is hard. You have to focus, and that's what's really hard for kids to do. And so when you said that, I'm like, wow, you're right. Reading is the very first thing to go, and we're actually going to be doing some podcasts on that this month because we feel really strongly about that, that that mm -hmm. is probably the biggest danger. And then that with the identity issues that you're talking about, um, that's pretty fascinating because, you know, we're adults. And so our identity is already formed when all this stuff came out. So talk just a second about that. Why is it that kids are so susceptible to uh, low self-esteem and problems with their identity? Good question. Um, we did extensive research in our book and went, uh, you were in Microsoft land, Google land, you name it. Um, and, um, so we talked to the psychologists that work for these big companies, the gaming companies, and they make compulsive loops that tweak dopamine. And they're very serious about this. Okay. The designers know how to make things addictive and they're building in features that make them addictive. And that's kind of, you know, that's just kind of why our kids are getting um, and why we, frankly, are are just finding this so hard to put down and to put away. Mm -hmm. So, you mm -hmm. know, but for children who haven't quite formed their identity yet, this is the scariest thing for me as a parent, because I want to speak into that part of their life. I don't want my kids going to perfect strangers to figure all this stuff out, you know, mm -hmm. online, but let's, let's start looking at the introduction of, of your book is so good. I, you know, this is when I got hooked on your book. I just, I picked it up. I started reading the introduction and you just immediately zone in on this language, um, that, you know, most parents are feeling. And so there's this, 
this pattern and these questions. And, um, you know, I'm going to read some of these things real quick. It says it's so confusing how we, or how can we put limits on something that makes our kids happy? You know, I I think that just kind of sums it up right there. That's where every parent listening to this are like, yeah, but they love their game and they love their phone and their social media. How can we put limits? It's the best babysitter that's ever been invented. Yeah, it is absolutely the best babysitter. It's the cheapest babysitter. It's the most convenient babysitter. It it, it's and it's the most damaging. (laughs) It works. (laughs) But then also we want our kids to be happy. So when I read that, I thought, you know what? You're exactly right. That's why I didn't take Adam's game away because why would I take his game away? He would be unhappy. I want him to be happy. The thing that I'm seeing more and more is that parents have a very difficult time. Um, confronting children about most anything, but the kids for the first time, the first generation that they are in charge. Wow. That's a huge statement. This is the first generation that the kids are in charge. Absolutely. You know, I think if, uh, if that's all you hear right now from this podcast, everybody (laughs) worth you tuning in. (laughs) No, I'm thinking a lot. And so parents have a very difficult time and it starts at a very, very young age. I'm out walking in Washington state, even when it's raining, which is a lot right now. Yeah. And, um, and I see little children in, in uh, strollers with iPads. Yeah. Why even have them outside if they're going to be on the iPad? I mean, right. Everyone in walks, et cetera, has their phone with them. I see children with their parents and they both have their phones and they're not talking. They're just with their phones. I know. And it, it just, it slips in so quickly and um, it's, it's so frustrating. This next thing here, it says his grades are declining, but he says he is smarter than his teachers. Oh my goodness. When I read that, it's so true. This narcissism that somehow, I mean, teenagers are already what I call belly button gazers. You know, they're constantly looking at themselves and um, they just do feel like the whole world is revolving around themselves. But I feel like video games and social media make that so much worse and teach. I mean, parents get this weird notion and we, we call it the parental blind spot over here at screen strong and we have it. I've had it. I've had big blind spots. Every parent has, but we, feel like our kids are so smart because they say these stupid things <laughs> like like my I'm smarter than my teacher you know I, I, yeah. I actually heard my kids say this before yeah and teachers have a difficult time this is the first generation of teachers also that are dealing um, depending on the district and so forth but that are dealing with um, parents and law and lawsuits and things like that um, I remember 10 years ago um, when I would observe teachers and so forth, and phones were not allowed in classrooms at all, period. Now I was um, observing last year a teacher, um, high school, and he was saying, students, um, it, for those of you that are listening, there is a, a test this Friday, U.S. History, and it's on this. And I looked around, and I would say 80% of the students had their phones out on the desk, you know, um, and doing their things and not listening to him at all. Mm-hmm. Afterwards, I said, what's the deal? Why, why are you allowing this? And he said, unless the superintendent, unless the principal is doing something, I can't do anything. So I'm seeing private schools um, more compliant and taking away phones, etc. But I'm seeing over and over again, public schools are not. Yeah. And it gives the kids this sense of power and control that puts the teacher in a really bad position. The other thing here says, uh, yes, most of the friends he had before he got into gaming are either gamers or gone in his life. He really doesn't seem to have any social confidence or the ability to decide things for himself. He seems very immature in these regards for his age. And yes, we are concerned about his physical health and development. His sleeping habits are horrible. All he does is eat junk food. He doesn't move much. He looks physically weak. Um, Mm -hmm. Yes, he's also very manipulative. He'll do anything to avoid homework, studying of any kind, any kind of hard work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The average uh, student in America is screening 12 hours a day. Oh, wow. And this starts at age eight. Pornography starts at age eight. Yeah. Yeah, it is amazing. Um, the social confidence. When I talk to students and they say, 
yeah, I have all these friends and so forth. I said, have you ever physically met them? Mm-hmm. Um, no, they're my friends and so forth. And then I do have students. Thank heavens. I was at someone's home last year and they were going to meet some guy that they had met and that was pretending to be a friend. And um, I called the parents right away and so forth because they were going to go that afternoon. And um, that's where you can get in big trouble. Wow. Yeah. There there is such a dark side to it. And the the next little piece here in the introduction talks about the um, parental trance and hence the name of your book, Breaking the Trance. Mm -hmm. And this trance state that I think Mm -hmm. this is so fascinating. I'm just going to read a couple of these bullets here about um, how parents, you know, get into this trance. And like, again, we call it sometimes the blind spot. Um, mm-hmm. but it, but one of them says, I, myself, the parent am on my screen media at work every 15 minutes or so all day long. There's really nothing wrong with that. It's just the way things are these days. Um, oh, this one, I love this one. The best parents are best friends with their children. <laughs> if my <laughs> children do not like me, it's my fault. Your kids, uh, my kids trust me and I trust them. Okay. I have to stop a minute on this one. Um, mm-hmm. but, you know, I, I, I say all the time, it's not your job parent. It's not your job to trust your kids. It, it's your job is to get your kids to trust you. And you really don't need to trust your kids. And, and just something just happened. Uh, Cynthia, let, well, let me see what you say about, about this. I just was on a call, um, gosh, two days ago. And it was with a mom who said that her daughter, just like the little story you just told, had gotten looped into a predator situation. Um, she was 11 years old and she said, but Melanie, I trust her because last year she did such and such. And it, it made me think I could trust her. And I think this is such a dilemma for parents when your kids are a little bit younger, sometimes you can trust them. I think Cynthia, you know, <clears throat> developmentally, there is a little window where it feels like you can trust them and they don't lie to you and they do what they get. But then all that kind of changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. And and I think it's important to sort of understand this trance state. And I guess that's why we called the book that because it's this interlocking beliefs that gives an automatic response. And I, I don't know if we have time, but I was going to, you know, tell my, my tree story. Um, because that sort of was sort of started us on this book in some ways, because I, I thought, well, I'm I don't ever get in a trance about things. How could that possibly be? And then I remembered there are many times in my life where I've, you know, didn't see it. And so one time we had to, my sister and I had to sell our family uh, property in Southern Oregon. Um, Our father um, had died. And so she called me and she said, "Um, they're saying that um, we need to cut down the trees there because they can't see the rest of the the land, the land there. And it was um, quite a bit of land. Yeah, the view and so forth. And so I said, what are you talking about, Christine? Um, That's a huge view. It's beautiful and so forth. She said, well, let's go down to Oregon and let's, you know, look at it. So we went down and uh, we were looking at it and she said, see, I mean, look at these trees, Cynthia. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I said, there's, there are no trees here. I'm serious. She then took my hand. She has a PhD. So then she took my hand and placed it on a tree in front of my face. (laughs) And I then broke that trance. Wow. And I said, oh, my gosh. Because as a little girl, I had remembered there were no trees there. Wow. And so I had an automatic response. There is no thinking required in a trance state. You know, seeing is believing and believing is seeing. It's really, really important. So when you as a parent um, get information about how much screen time, what they are doing, then believing is seeing and seeing is believing. Wow. No, that's such a good point. And what a good story that is where where something is literally happening right under your nose and you can't (laughs) see it. Right. I mean, right. you really couldn't see the forest for the trees, Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Maybe that's where that came from. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's so true. For, it's such a great analogy for this um, topic. And because I was that parent and, and now I see 
but it was only <laughs> after many years of living in the trance. And so I know what it feels like to live in the trance. And it's very frustrating because it just seemed you're conflicted all the time. And you, you want your kids to be happy. You want to trust them. You want to protect mm -hmm. them. You want them to be, you know, you, you, you don't want to take stuff away from them. You look at their big old eyes and, you know, I think that the way we're made as parents and moms, especially, we have this, this overwhelming, unconditional love for our kids and we'll do anything for them. And we just have to be really careful because, I mean, that's a, a real important instinct that we have to protect our kids. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, and it's also, but it's, you know, it's also something that keeps us, you know, feeding our kids, I say, because sometimes, you know, uh, if we didn't have those instincts, we'd get mad at them and, you know, leave them out in the field somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but we can't do that. But uh, looking at these bullets points, there's another one that says, um, there's no way I will ever understand all this technology. I just need to make sure he has every advantage by getting him all the stuff he needs. And you know what? Boy, did I think that. I was really stuck mm -hmm. in that part of the trance where I thought, well, I don't know enough about this. So I'm going to turn this over to my kids. And mm -hmm. uh, they certainly, and then this last one here, you have um, the worst thing for my child's social reputation is for us to look like the weirdos on the block, the only family who doesn't use a lot of digital media. I think you nailed it there. I think um, mm -hmm. that is one of the biggest reasons why people get stuck in their trance. They don't want to be different. Mm -hmm. um, and talk, talk about that just for a second. Why is it okay to be different again? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very okay to be different. Um, because then you have um, identification, you know, your sense of self, who are you? And, um, you know, what, what things really intrigue you? What, in, what, what is your future? And if the only thing that you're doing is 12 hours a day, and that's, you know, and that takes up so much of the nighttime, um, you are not going to be, you're going to do exactly what the gaming industry wants which is a 60, I'm trying to think if I'm right here, $66 billion industry. So, um, and it wants that kind of stuff. But I mean, um, I've had kids who tell me, they don't tell their parents, but they tell me um, that they get up in the middle of the night and they drink four or five Cokes and then they're up gaming all night. And then they can sleep in class because the teachers don't care. And right now that's true. And on the online, because of COVID, um, many, many, many of stu many students are not turning on their cameras and doing all, and we're seeing this all over the place. So I asked students, did you turn on your cameras today? The students who get a, are getting the great grades, turning on their cameras. They're turning on. Yeah. Cause they're being accountable. And I, yeah. I see it all the time. I talk to teachers all the time. They're like, we know, we know our whole class is playing video games in the middle of class now, cause we can't really see what they're doing. And they have their phones and their laptops and all their iPads and everything's out. And even if they do have the camera, they can still tell they're doing all that. And um, I think being different is what this is all about. And, you know, when I think about um, being different, I think about brands that are out there and marketing and, you know, you set yourself apart and, and you are very successful when you are a brand that is different, that, that does set yourself apart from the crowd. And, so I think that's the way we got to look at it. We want our kids to be different. We don't want them to conform to, to all of this. It's not all bad. It's not that technology is bad. You don't think it's bad. Right. I don't think it's bad. Um, of course, but there are certain things about it that we have to stay away from and our kids desperately need us. And I love what you have described in here as um, what we call screen strong families and what mm -hmm. you refer to just as uh, successful family and there's like four things it's families that are successful um talk a lot about important things in in their home and you know screens mm -hmm. that's the first thing to go uh when when you have as your kids are all involved with screens and um that there has to be this constant conversations around life and they're not being creative by being on screens and when i talk to students about this they go no no i really am and i said no, the people that designed those games, that designed um, the screens and so forth, they were creative. <laughs> but, um, but you're not being creative. You're doing exactly what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. And um, so then when I have students who actually stop and say, actually, 
being outside or reading or, is really creative. This right. isn't creative at all. So I'm seeing the shift and change. Well, the other thing is this, this, I, the thing I love about this first point you make about strong families, about their families who talk a lot. Um, when we have, we have our seven day detox where you can sign up on our site. It's a free thing that we do. Mm-hmm. Hope that you do it for 30 days, but start with seven. And the feedback we get I, I, nine times out of 10, the very first thing parents say is, and this is after they take just video games and social media away from their kids, usually their smartphones. They say, Melanie, I cannot believe how much my kids are talking to me. Like we're just talking <laughs> like all the time. Like they're sitting at the table. They're talking to me. I'm in the kitchen cooking. They're talking to me. Like I've never right. heard so much talking. And it's so funny to me because yeah, that's exactly. exactly what you want. And particularly at younger ages, the pediatricians now are saying to uh, young families to be careful about screens in, you know, but the kids that are say, uh, not that people are taking that advice necessarily, but the kids that are say six years and older and so forth, um, there's, they weren't being told that and so forth. But my little grandson, Asher, he, when he was two years old, he had never seen, they, they've never had screens or anything like that with him. And, and he, um, was two years old and one of my um, other kids we were there for Christmas time and he saw um, her phone and um, he didn't know what it was um, an iPhone or something so she said yeah uh, and uh, so he took it and was throwing it on the ground because he saw that it lit up and so forth and he was throwing it stomping on it. So I said you know your, your phone's going to be broken she said I don't care um, but it's really interesting he had never seen anything like this and so he was um, enthralled with it, even though he didn't know what on earth it was. Oh, sure. And, yeah. Just all so, the bright lights and everything yeah. his attention. The next thing you said about, um, about families, you know, that they talk a lot, they work hard, they study, they do their homework, they like each other, they eat together, they play together, they have fun together. Um they use humor, there's connection, there's like a spirit that you feel when you walk in their home of this connectedness. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I remember growing up having certain friends that I would walk in their house and things would feel cold and awkward and kind of sterile. And then other friends you'd walk in and you could just tell that their family had fun together. You know, Um, I love the way you point this out. And that's why reading together is so critical because I read with all my students, uh, whether they're in high school and are reading of mice and men or whatever. And, um, and to drill down on, on, you know, critically understanding it and the comprehension and so forth. But yeah, um, I remember one of my own kids, Dane, um, we were, he was in high school and he said, I said, well, you know, cause I always read to my kids every night and he said, mom, I'm in high school. I don't need this. I said, yeah, we, <laughs> we, we yeah, he wasn't a gamer or anything, but, um, uh, yeah, I said, no, no, it's important. So my kids to this day are unbelievable readers Aww. and, um, and with reading comes incredible critical thinking. And so they'll give me ideas for books and so forth. But reading is so, so, so important. Yeah, and that's one of those things you can do together as a family to have fun. And oh, I think yeah. this time of the year, this is the new year. I think this is a really good time to start restructuring. Um, you know, of course, we make our New Year's resolutions and all that. But the, some of the things mm-hmm. that we're talking about today are so easy to do. And you just have to be purposeful about them. But let's let's dive in just for a few minutes about yeah. this whole definition around um, screen dependency. And I know that you use the term dependency instead of addiction. And we use that term as well. And um, the definition is basically that compulsive engagement with screen media use, despite the adverse consequences like failing at school or losing face-to-face social networks. Mm-hmm. I think that's such a good... So let, let's talk about that for a second. And then I want you to talk about, with that, I want you to talk about, um, th- this is so fascinating to me. Um, and here you say that children who are compulsive users fly under the radar. They are greatly at risk because they can hide their dependence 
for years mm-hmm. and not really take on any serious goals or challenges in their life. They are secluded in their virtual worlds and avoid all the stress, trials, errors, and other learning experiences that move a child through his or her development to childhood. This is what I feel like our, where our audience is and where most parents are, is our kids, they're not really bad. They're not really good. They're not really severely addicted. They're not whatever. They're right in that middle zone. So talk about this, um, the flying under the radar. I love this idea because I think this is where most of our kids are in this idea of screen dependency. People are, they don't realize how dependent kids can be. And some students, some children have, it's much more of an impact on them psychologically, um, educationally, all different ways than other students, special ed students. um, Be careful. That makes a big, big difference. So the definition of screen dependency, how I think that um, as parents, we don't ever want to see our kids as being addicted to something. So this keeps us in our trance and it keeps our blind spot going. And yet what you point out here are these compulsive users that are like flying under the radar. So they're maybe still getting okay grades at school. They're kind of doing this. Like, this is exactly what happened with my son. He had straight A's and, you know, I would make him come to dinner and he would come, even though sometime, you know, had to holler at him a couple times to get him off his game. So he, what he really did fly under the radar. I did not detect it. And yet I think that's the most dangerous zone, if you will. It is. And that's why it's, really critically important to kind of do a um, how many screens, where are the screens? You know, are the screens at night in the, in the bedrooms? Oh, I have to have it for the alarm clock. No, you don't. There should be no screens in our opinions at night in the, in, well, actually anywhere in the bedrooms at night or daytime. Mm-hmm. Homework should not be done in the bedrooms. And so I think it's important to sort of getting out of that trance is finding out data. I'm a data nut about this. So sometimes I ask families, how many devices do you have in your home? Um, I had a family with 42 devices. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's probably not that unusual when you think about it. Exactly. So many different things. And so it's really important that you find out in that. It's really, really hard also for parents to understand that kids lie to them. That's, I mean, kids always have, but it's really, really hard for parents. But the lies nowadays are pretty outrageous and they are indicative of addiction and dependence. Hmm. So a liar, you know, people that are addicts are liars Mm -hmm. because they want whatever it is, whether it's cocaine or, you know, more video. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So um, when kids know that they can fall asleep and stay up all night, fall asleep in class and stay up all night playing video games, um, it's amazing. But kids will do outrageous behaviors and parents don't want to, don't want to know this. Example, one of my students, the parents, you know, People can be very clever about um, trying to control kids and their phones and things like that. And so they had, the, the parents had um, fingerprint. The, the mom had to have the kid to get on his phone, had to have a fingerprint. So in the middle of the night, my student went into the bedroom. The mom was asleep, got his phone, and then was able to fingerprint his phone without her knowing. Oh my and, goodness. Um, yes. Yeah. So crazy, but true. But I think it's the big deal for me is to face it and to have, you know, what to actually document what's happening. Yeah. I think I, I really appreciate um, that because I think, yeah, the data says it all. And then with the data, yeah. then you don't have to get so emotional about it. You can put your emotions aside. You can get out of your trance. You can get past your blind spot. Yeah. So take inventory, what you're saying, take inventory of all the devices you have, figure out where they are. And the other mm-hmm. thing that I think is super important 
is to actually keep a log of how much time your kids are on these screens. Now, some people are past this point. They already broke out of that part of their trance. They know their kids are on their screens 12 hours a day. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. I think it could be helpful to write down, you know, make a chart and literally write it down. And I love it here when you say getting a decent grade point average is not the most important reason for screen controls. When looking carefully at the screen dependent child population, we find many children are actually doing okay academically, although they may not be working to their potential. So um, why should parents be concerned about their children's screen media if they're earning B's and C's? After all, their ability to move through the grade show, they can focus on things. So what's the big deal? So let's talk about this for a second because the next paragraph talks about the nervous system needs um, mm-hmm. and, and what, what your child – so it's not just the grades. It's not just these things because I know I was that parent. I, I He had straight mm-hmm. A's, so I erased mm-hmm. everything else that could have been – a problem. But it says a child's nervous system should be put in situations in which he has to use his mind and talents to overcome real, not virtual mm-hmm. obstacles. Can you explain that a little bit more? It's it's really important that students know, find out who on earth they are. Just like we try when I want my students in their writing, I want to know your voice, not my voice. I want your voice. Mm-hmm. And so who are we? And that's part of growing up. Like like you were saying earlier, we don't care that parents are dependent on screens and all that kind of thing. They're grown up, mm-hmm. um, hopefully. But the emotional, psychological, physical, all of those things are having a huge, huge impact. It really does. I, I hear people who, when I used to go to the gym, <laughs> uh, they're closed here, talking about um, kids who were on screens. And the head of the gym was telling me he could tell if um, boys were on screens because their bodies were not um, as strong wow. and they're growing as fast, et cetera, et cetera. The ang- I've had angry gamers breaking their hands because they were so frustrated. I had a kid who, um, or knew of a kid who was an 18-year-old and he, wanted his iPhone back. And so he did a, a face plant and broke his nose in the, oh. on the wooden floor in front of his mom. Oh yeah. So the dramatics that kids will do and, you know, is pretty amazing. Well, and, and it, it just goes in line perfectly with, with teenage brain development. It's all accelerator, mm-hmm. no breaks. They, their frontal cortex is not ready yet. The connections are not cemented very well they have lots of neurons and they're very smart but they're not that wired together are you know work together and so forth george is the neuron person and and you can uh, yeah we'll talk to him a lot more about that but but talk to talk a little bit about the the process of boredom and how that child becomes bored okay i always call it the dopamine deficit time, you know, when there's no dopamine. (laughs) Right. When I hear a student say I'm bored, I know they're um, into video games or into screen time. Uh So um, people who are not don't use the word bored. Bored is, you know, analogous with um, screen time. And being bored is okay. It's it's important to be bored Mm -hmm. so that you can find out who on earth you are. I love the fact that you just said that about gamers. I want y'all to hear this again, what she just said about gamers and kids who are dependent on screens are bored a lot. And in just this second, as I sit here and think this through, I, my two younger boys, cause we have a game free home. Now I, we just realize that video games are not necessary for uh, childhood or life or anything, even though I know they can be fun, whatever, they're not necessary. So we have a game-free home. And I'm not bragging about this, but they never, Cynthia, my kids never say they're bored. I, I, you're right. They always have so many things to do. They're Exactly. Exactly. And congratulations that you do that, Melanie. Seriously, seriously, you get an AA+++. Well, I, I got a bunch of Fs, you know, first. <laughs> Yeah, but, but, you know, we all, you awakened, and um, you're an incredible example of motherhood in these days. Seriously, um, 
you're humble and saying these things happened and then what you did about it. Not everyone can do that. Well, you know, Cynthia, when you get to the bottom, there's only one way to go. (laughs) (laughs) No, there isn't. Maybe not. seen it all. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I could have kept going down. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen it all. And, um, And also part of the boredom piece piece is that the gaming industry, the psychologists that are behind these things, et cetera, they want you to be constantly vigilant and be on games. And the opposite, of course, is supposedly boredom. Yeah. But um, when I say I have them write essays on the importance of boredom, <laughs> they go, no, 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 Miss Cynthia, no. <laughs> yeah. But this this sentence in here, here, I just have to read it. This is so exciting. Guys, you just got to go get this book. I, you know, it's just one of the books. Like the whole thing is underlined. You know where you have books where you highlight things? My whole thing is highlighted. So actually, Cynthia, I need another book, I think. <laughs> Uh, copy. But it says, deprived of access to recreational screen media, the child becomes bored and deals with the boredom by finding things to do. The child's brain needs this type of boredom because without it, it cannot exercise neurons that are part of the imagination process. And this is how all of us develop skills and wisdom to grow up. We use our imagination muscle is kind of like what I like to call it. We imagine our lives and then we, we find these resources and resourceful ways to bring that imagination into reality. I mean, I just think that sums it up. We're not, our kids are not using their brains on their screens. Exactly. Just like we strengthen our bodies, it's the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, the prefrontal cortex, that first, that front of your brain and so forth is very, very critical to helping be able to foresee what could happen, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so when that and that continues to grow until we're like 22, 23, 24. Um, but if we're not allowing that to happen. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's really critical. I also have to say that there are kids that are going to college, graduating from college and then coming home and not getting jobs and being screen dependent. Yeah. And that's happening throughout this you know, for well, that's area. exactly what happened to us. And that's when, you know, we had that window where Adam said he just dropped out because he's, he just didn't go to his classes and maybe some of them graduate and come home. Some of them drop out and come home. But I knew at that point that I had to do something. And the only thing I knew to do, cause I didn't even know there was such a thing as video game addiction at that point in time. And I didn't even know there were treatment centers all over the place that, you know, you could get yeah. kids for this. So I just sent them to the only treatment center I could think of. And that was the U S army. And I had a recruiter come to our house. <laughs> That's great. As opposed to the $60,000 for six weeks or something. Yeah, yeah. Cynthia, I was using my imagination muscle. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that was brilliant. Oh yeah. Maybe that, maybe that will work in you know, for a lot of parents. And it's great. Well, it worked really well for Adam because I was, I was, uh, at the point where I had to figure out something and, um, and it worked really well for him. One, one more thing here before we close up and I haven't even made it out of the first chapter, guys, you got to go get this book. Um, so you have a little, y'all talking here just a second about this, um, power of how these screens are taking over our kids brains and even the pain centers in their brain. And, and, and y'all out there listening, no, I'm a nurse. I'm a retired RN. I've worked in lots of ORs. I understand a lot about um, painkillers and burn victims and all this stuff. I used to work in the ER. I have all sorts of experience with this. And 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 you um, bring up this, this fact that I think is so important that gaming, even just putting a handheld game in a kid's Hand will allow doctors to do certain medical procedures. I know even mm-hmm. in our dental office, in the pediatric office, the doctor told me, oh, Melanie, this is really true. Um, we don't have to use as much anesthetic because, you know, we're getting ready to do some work on a kid. We just give him a handheld game and we can get a lot of it done without using any anesthetics. And then here, and you're, you're pointing out the uh, for burn victims that if they're allowed to play video games, um, you know, and that's a positive thing in some ways. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I mean, but it shows it a very powerful thing. It's power. You know, mm-hmm. it's it goes deep into the nervous system, into your mm-hmm. 
um, your kid's brain where it numbs even the pain, you know, sensations. And it's, it's the, it's what we call the flow, you know, and what I call in my house, the game coma is what I used to refer it to, you know, refer to when Adam literally, um, you know, he, he wouldn't even hear me call him to dinner or whatever. And then I have a friend who said that her son, um, was playing video games one day and the smoke detector went off and he didn't answer the phones or anything. So the fire truck came blaring sirens down the neighbor, you know, through the neighborhood. He still didn't hear it. The fireman actually broke into the door and went up to his bedroom where he was playing video games. And then he saw the fireman. <laughs> right. Kind of like the tree touching the tree. Yeah. No, it's really. He was in a wow. trance. <laughs> yeah, it really was. And it is, it's an amazing concept, but we want our children to find who to find out who they are we you know most of all who are you and what are you going to contribute to this world well i i think that we've really gosh the time is flying here um we we got to start to wrap up and i haven't even kind mm-hmm. of done everything i wanted to cover but uh we're definitely going to have you back on we're going to get everybody to get this book and read it it's such a good practical resource you know and I think that you, what you just said, that we want to figure out who our kids are. You know, parents, this is the new year. You really get to decide how this is going to come down in your house. <laughs> you know, um, you're in charge. Yes. Parents. You're in charge. And, and Cynthia, what do you tell parents here, just as we start to wrap up our conversation, what do you tell parents who really come to you and just say, I don't know what to do? What What is what do you say to them? I mean, the first thing is you got to tell them they're in charge, I guess. Yeah, they're in charge. And also find out what's happening. Be like, I'm an education detective, but be the, you know, what are, what are your family's goals? What are, what are your, you know, belief systems in your family? What, you know, who are you as a family? That's the most important thing. And to document what is happening with the children and to be open to that and not be afraid. Yeah. And that they are in charge. Well, and you know, Cynthia, when parents finally break out of their trance, they, they kind of get out of their own coma. Like, like I did. It's Mm -hmm. it's just so much easier than you think it's going to be. It is. It is much easier than you think. Because that's one of the myths about gaming and, and screen time and so forth is that, no, no, they can't do it, etc. But no, they really can. Your family is stronger than screens. Hmm. Excellent. Wow. That's really powerful. Oh, I need my screen strong Kleenex because you're getting me all teary. You're right. Our families are stronger than screens. <laughs> and- no, they are. They really are. And who are you as a family? I'm a family genealogist also so I always say um to you know I always tell my kids about Ursula uh, or Isabella Windley and you know coming across the Oregon Trail etc etc and so the other day one of my uh, own sons was saying okay mom you've got Ursula in you remember and you can um or Isabella Windley and you can do this you can do this because I had a challenge and so it comes back to me too (laughs) Because you've created this culture in your home and um, it's paying off, you know, it, it pays off. And, and that's what we're really doing, Cynthia, we're investing yeah. in our kids. And so you have to decide this year and this is a new year and this is the, this is January. It's time to um, start making some of these decisions. I know one of the most important things to do is to get in a community where you have support, our Screen Strong Families Facebook group is a wonderful place to go to get support um, from other parents. We also have this book club idea that we have started this year. So get this book every, every month, we're going to have a new book and we're going to do everything we can to share as much information as we possibly can with our audience, because I just know how important, like you just said, Cynthia, how important it is to get the information, to get educated. And this is Mm -hmm. what 
I was lacking when I made all the mistakes I made with my oldest, but this is what really turned our course around. Once I got the science and the research figured out and I quit listening to everybody's opinions about, <laughs> you know, especially my kids, right? <laughs> about yeah. what, would, what would work, then things just got so much easier. And I would make it a New Year's resolution, if y'all don't have this one yet, that you're not going to have arguments over screens this year. No. You know, yeah. I, I just, I look at Adam's childhood and we had so many conflicts over it. And I look at the boys now, our younger boys, we never argue about screen time. Can you yeah. imagine? Read with your children yeah. and read. you're in charge and just really enjoy it. And speaking of reading, um, everybody, um, I want you to write down five friends that you can start this book club with. Have um, five of your friends get the book that we're talking about today, Breaking the Trance, A Practical Guide for Parenting the Screen-Dependent Child by George Lynn and Cynthia Johnson. And we've been talking with Cynthia today, but this can be such a fun thing. Um, read this together with your friends. It's always more fun to read together, read in a group. You can talk about it. You can, um, you know, actually zoom about it, even on your own, you know, pick a night or, you know, hopefully soon we'll be getting back together in person, but make this be a fun thing for your group of mom friends. And heck, you can even read this with your kids. There's nothing in here that you can't read with your kids, mm -hmm. if you have a little bit older teenager. Wouldn't you recommend that, Cynthia? I'm parents are always yeah, asking. And um, I also have to say that your three books are amazing, Melanie, and they sort of commingle for sure with our breaking the trance. And I think it's important that yeah, I have kids do research on this topic mm -hmm. and you know find out what's happening. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can absolutely read it. Mm -hmm. Well, Cynthia, thank you so much, and um. If anyone out there wants to be um, a Screen Strong ambassador and start sharing this message, or if you want to start a book club, just contact us at team at screenstrong.com. And also remember our Facebook group is Screen Strong Families and our website is screenstrong.com. Cynthia, thank you so much. Uh, we're, we're so excited to have, have you join us today. And we're going to be hearing from you again for sure. <laughs> Thank you. It has been an honor. Thank you very much. And we're going to have George come. And so we're going to have both of y'all. But thank you so much. And um, we'll keep everybody posted on those details. So remember that we've got your back and we are here to help you. So until next time, stand up for your kids, stand out from the crowd and stay strong. <laughs>